Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Our topic today is going to be seizing the opportunity. Let's begin in the book of 2 Kings chapter 13. In 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning in the 14th verse, it says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face, and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Apek, till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hast thou smitten Syria, till thou hast consumed it, whereas thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. We see a prophecy here in this chapter, and then we see this prophecy was fulfilled later on in verse 25, which says, And Jehoash the son of Jehoahaz took again out of the hand of Ben-Hadad the son of Hazael, the cities, which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father by war. Three times did Joash beat him and recover the cities of Israel. The mistake that we find here was that Joash only shot three of the arrows. He should have done more. He should have used them all. Elisha rebuked him and said that he should have shot five or six arrows. This mistake is even more prevalent in light of verse 17. In verse 17, Elisha said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. It was clear that there was a connection between the arrows and the deliverance, and in turn, there was a connection between the more arrows shot and the greater the deliverance. Even though this connection was established in verse 17, we find that he only shot three arrows instead of more in verse 18. This was a prophecy being foretold by the action of shooting arrows. Joash's actions were directly related to the outcome of their battle with the Syrians. The outcome of this mistake made a big difference. Joash had the opportunity to completely destroy the Syrians, but now he would only smite them three times. When Joash was presented with the opportunity to wipe out his enemies, he failed to show eagerness. He had no determination, and he had low expectations. 
Determination can go a long way if it's present and operating in a person's life. Determination is defined as a noun, meaning decision of a question in the mind, firm resolution, settled purpose, absolute direction to a certain end. Joash's lack of determination not only kept him from destroying his enemies, it also greatly affected the future of Israel. This small mistake changed the entire course of Israel's history. Israel and Syria were always constant enemies and constantly fighting throughout their histories. The effects of this mistake were felt down through the years, but the worst effect of it would appear at the end of Israel's history. This is because of the alliance made between Syria and Assyria in 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 17 verses 5 through 6 says, Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halah and in Habor by the river Gozen in the city of the Medes. There is a difference between Syria and Assyria. They were two separate countries, but they later came into close alliance. They were so closely in alliance that when the Assyrians took over Samaria, they sent Syrians to live there and to occupy it. Syria is a country, and Assyria was both a country and an ethnic group. Most Assyrians in modern times live in Syria, which is their traditional homeland. Assyrians can be Syrians, but not all Syrians are Assyrians. There is a close tie between the two. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17, beginning in the 18th verse. It says, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. The destruction of Israel by Assyria was a direct result of Joash's sin in not shooting all of the arrows. If Joash had done what Elisha had wanted him to do, he could have destroyed Syria, and in turn, they would have never went into alliance with Assyria and may never have besieged Samaria and took Israel captive. His sin led to the destruction of Israel. He had the opportunity to stop it, but he failed to do so. He lacked the determination to do so, and he lacked the expectation to do so. He didn't expect to completely destroy Syria. He only expected to smite them. He didn't see the importance of destroying them. In verse 18 of 2 Kings 13, it says, And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. The word stayed is very important. In many other versions of the Bible, 
Stayed is translated as stopped. There is, however, a deeper meaning also present in the use of stayed. This deeper meaning is found in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word for stayed is amad, which means to take one's stand. When Joash stopped shooting after the third arrow, whether consciously or subconsciously, he was taking a stand through his actions. He was expressing that he only expected to smite them, not to destroy them. The same way we speak things into existence, the arrows were symbolic, and he was acting into existence, what he desired to take place. He expected a little, and the outcome was little. God is a big God, and he wants us to expect big things from him. Expect is defined as a verb, meaning to look, that is to reach forward, or to fix the eyes. It also means to have a previous apprehension of something future, whether good or evil, to entertain at least a slight belief that an event will happen. Joash set his sight on the low-hanging fruit. He wasn't expecting the best that God could give him, and the effect of expecting little from a big God was the destruction of his nation and the captivity of his people. The third element that Joash was lacking was eagerness. Eagerness is defined as a noun, meaning ardent desire to do, pursue, or obtain anything. Animated zeal, vehement longing, order of inclination. Although Joash had the strength and the ability to keep shooting arrows, he didn't have the eagerness necessary to do so. He was content with smiting instead of destroying. When God presents us with an opportunity, we need to have these three elements operating within us. We need eagerness, determination, and expectation. They are all necessary and they all go together. Eagerness must come first, because it's the desire and the longing. It's the foundation. Next comes determination. Determination is a decision, and the decision is informed by our eagerness, which is our desire and longing. Determination sets up our state of mind, so we have a firm and an unshakable resolution to perform what we have decided to do. And it's that firm resolution within us that leads us to the last element, expectation. When we are determined and have a firm resolution, it fixes our eyes and what we've determined to see take place. It strengthens our belief that we will see it come to pass and we are actively looking for it. Once we have all three of these elements operating within us, combined together, they produce faith within us because we are desiring to see God work. We made up our mind as to what we want to see, and we are actively looking for the manifestation. This is faith. Buford Dowell was an organ player who played for the great revivalists like Jack Coe and Oral Roberts and William Branham. The first time he played the organ at a Catherine Kuhlman service, he had never met her before, and he went to her office afterwards to speak to her. He found her and said, Can I ask you a question? She replied, of course. He asked, what is faith? She paused for a moment and then replied, faith is not believing what you see, but rather seeing what you believe. We are seeing what we believe when we have eagerness and determination and expectation. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are assured that what we are looking for will take place we can foresee it. This is the root of our faith. Joash had none of the free elements, and in turn, he had no faith. 
If he had had faith, he would have kept shooting arrows until he could foresee the complete and utter destruction of his enemy. His nation and his people paid the price for this lack of faith. And this is not the only place in scripture where we find something like this take place. This is part of a larger pattern that we find throughout scripture. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in the first verse. It says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken now unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telelim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness unto all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and have not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. We find a very similar set of circumstances in Saul and Samuel to that of Joash and Elisha. It was clear from the word of the Lord, given by Samuel, that it was God's will for Amalek to be utterly destroyed. Verse 3 said, Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. This verse makes it abundantly clear as to what Saul was commanded to do. God, like he did with Joash, was giving him an opportunity, but Saul, like Joash before him, made a mistake. He failed to seize the opportunity presented to him. We find here again the same three elements missing from the equation. Saul was lacking eagerness, determination, and expectation. And because of this, we see that he didn't put his faith in God or his words. The result of his mistake and sin of not executing God's orders was that it came back to haunt him later on. Let's go later on into chapter 15 to the 18th verse. Beginning in verse 18, it says, And the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them, until they be consumed. Wherefore then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, 
Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. One of the major effects of his sin was that God rejected him from being king. This not only changed his future, it changed the entire future of all of Israel. Saul, at first, tried to blame the people. He didn't own up to his own sin. He didn't take responsibility for his own actions. He tried to defer the responsibility to everyone else. It was clear that Saul was a part of and knew about everything going on concerning the Amalekites. Verse 8, speaking of Saul, said, And he took Agag, the king of Amalek, alive. Then verse 9 says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. He tried to blame others, so that he would seem innocent, but his sin eventually found him out. He eventually realized the gravity of his sin, and what it meant for himself and for Israel. Verse 24 says, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, and thy words, because I feared the people, and obeyed their voice. Saul is admitting his sin, but his sin still had its effects, because they were already set in motion. The Amalekites were to appear again later on in Saul's life. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 1. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in the fifth verse, it says, And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought them hither unto my Lord. We see that his sin came back and affected him at his death. It was an Amalekite that killed Saul. If Saul had taken the opportunity that God gave him to utterly destroy the Amalekites, it would have changed everything. Had he followed the word of the Lord in the first place and wiped out the enemy, there would have been no Amalekite left to kill him. We find again, like we saw with Joash, that one simple act, simple obedience, to the commands of the Lord, can not only change the lives of individuals, it can affect the histories of nations. If Joash and Saul had had eagerness, if they were determined, if they had expectation, the accounts of their lives would read very differently. They did what they did, 
and that can't be changed. But we today have an opportunity to learn from them. We can see what was done and learn from their mistakes without paying the price that it cost them. We need to have in our lives what they were lacking in theirs. We need to have eagerness and determination and expectation so that our faith can be active and so that we could see what we believe. We have to expect to collect. This is more than just a cliche or a nice saying. This is faith in action. It's a lifestyle and a mentality. We need to apply this truth in our day-to-day life. God is always speaking to us and giving us commands in our spirit. The difference is in whether we respond to the opportunities that we have to follow God's word like Saul and Joash, or if we do the right thing and follow the right path with simple obedience. God warns us not to go the way of Saul and Joash. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 20 says, Despise not prophesying. The verse before it, verse 19, also tells us, Quench not the Spirit. When the Lord speaks to us by the Spirit or through prophecies, we have to take the opportunity to follow and obey. If we obey, we have to have passion. We have to have made up our minds with a firm resolution. And we have to be looking for the manifestation and the fulfillment of God's word. When we do this, we will be operating in active faith and seizing the opportunity given. There are other opportunities that God presents us with as well. There are opportunities to spread the gospel, to bless people, and to help them. There are opportunities for generosity and joy and hope and love, and many other things. When we're presented with all of these opportunities all around us, each one asks the same question. How are we going to respond? Are we going to seize it? Or are we going to reject it? Are we going to have active faith? Or are we going to doubt the goodness and the truthfulness of God's commands? The choice is ours to make, and our answer can make all the difference. Galatians 6 and 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. God is giving us the chance to bless others and to bless our fellow believers. The greatest blessing in the world is to be a blessing to others. An opportunity not seized upon is an opportunity wasted. When the Lord gives us a command, when he tells us to shoot, let's not shoot free arrows, Let's shoot every last arrow and then enjoy the fruits of our obedience when they manifest in our lives. God wants us to enjoy all that he has for us. But in order for this to happen, we need to be obedient. Isaiah 1 and 19 promises us, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. God is looking for obedience over sacrifice, and he is looking for the opportunities that he gives us to be seized upon. Let's make that choice today to seize the opportunity. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for the opportunities that are all around us. Lord, direct us by your spirit within us, Lord God, to those opportunities to bless people and to be a blessing and a help and an assistance in their life, Lord God, to spread love and hope and joy and peace to other people and to our fellow believers, Lord God. We thank you for the opportunities that you have given us in life, Lord God. And we ask that you help us to answer these opportunities in the right way, to seize them, Lord God, not to reject them. We want to take every blessing that you are offering to us. We want to claim every promise that you are offering to us by faith. 
And we lay hold on them, Lord God, and we claim them for our lives and for the lives of those around us. And Lord, we have expectation, we have determination, and we have eagerness, all those things that you have set apart for us. And because of that, Lord, we have faith. We see what we believe, Lord God. We not only believe you, Lord, but we see your word coming to pass. And because of that, we claim it. And Lord, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to seize the opportunity and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you would like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We also appreciate if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.